and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 84. I'm Kay, here with my co-host Taz. Hello. Today we'll be discussing the 18th episode of season 4, Prayer. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of prayer. John and Scorpius take a long-shot chance of finding Aaron by talking to the Bizarro Universe Stark. Meanwhile, Aaron is tortured by a Scarin captain to give the location of John and any wormhole data that she knows. A lot of strands laid out in the season so far come together in this episode. So on the one side, we have John and the unrealized reality we saw when he was uh, learning about unrealized realities from Einstein, the one with... uh, um, Stark, who is played by uh, the actor who plays Sokozu, and with the Aaron and Shiana mashup and the Rigel and Norianti mashup. I think those are the three that we see again in this episode. Meanwhile, on Moya, Dargo and Shiana and Sokozu and Rigel and everybody are, are waiting. And so they don't get a whole lot to do, but we have the sensor distorter that comes back into play at the end. Just spoilers. And then we have Aaron and her thread. Now, we haven't seen Aaron since bringing home the beacon a couple episodes ago. And we have the question that kind of gets resolved and, well, opened up again and then resolved is the longstanding thread of who is the father of her child. And, you know, that's been a big point of contention between her and John since she returned to Moya early this season. As we get into the Aaron plot thread, one of the interesting things for me is this idea of torture and whether or not it works or doesn't work. And I think that this episode plays with a lot of things that other shows have played with before in terms of torture and what you tell somebody under torture and whether or not it works. And the scientific data says that torture doesn't work, that when tortured, people just tell you what you want to hear, which is actually kind of what ends up happening in this, where as an audience, we get a truth because we're seeing inside Aaron's head as she's telling this. So we understand that she's actually telling the truth. But the Scarin captain essentially just keeps torturing her until she says it's John's baby. Like, spoiler. Mm -hmm. But actually, that was kind of funny for me because I'm like, you know, you were just going to keep torturing her until you got the answer you wanted, not the answer that was necessarily true. Right. This also episode also plays into the whole like the baby is special because of the parentage thing Mm -hmm. and it's a very common science fiction trope where you know like the actor gets pregnant and then oh we have to make the baby special and then torture the mother so it's a very common thing you see and I think it's interesting that Farscape does it as a deliberate plot point rather than a happenstance of the actor being pregnant because the Claudia Black is not pregnant and she's first term she's got this you know, the embryo is in stasis, like she's not visibly pregnant at all, but they still go down this, this route that, that shows often do. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I have mixed feelings about that or not. I mean, on the one hand, it's really common. And, and then you get this, the, the torture scene playing out. And I think I've derailed from your original point. So sorry mm-hmm. about that. But at the same time, I know it's Farscape doing it. And so mm-hmm. because it's a deliberate choice, I find the whole pregnancy plotline to actually be a point in Farscape's favor. Mm-hmm. Because in most cases, when they do the, oh, no, actor got pregnant, we have to either completely hide her midsection for an entire season 
a la Life, which they mm-hmm. did really well, where they were like, oh, she's going to go work for the FBI and we're only <laughs> ever going to see her from, you know, like chest up because we don't want to reveal she's pregnant. Or you have something really awful like Angel is that when mm-hmm. I, is the one I think of when I think of how to do pregnancy plot lines badly. Yeah. You know, and it's where they essentially completely destroyed Cordelia and I understand that like there was some stuff going on behind the scenes between Charisma Carpenter and Joss Whedon and um, longtime listeners will know my feelings of Joss Whedon are fairly mixed and kind of leaning towards negative at this point but I think that that's an example of like where oh magic parentage mm-hmm. you know and then it ends up just destroying the character and I yeah. think here we really see that Aaron being pregnant doesn't necessarily destroy her character as much as it really distills her down to like her purest self because it mm-hmm. allows her to hit all those points that she was really proud of as a peacekeeper, like loyalty, strength, pride, you mm-hmm. know, protecting things that are weaker than you, protecting people that need your help. Yeah. Like it allows her to to be all of those things in this really pure sense. And on the one hand, it does kind of fit into like the mama bear thing of like, uh, you know, like, okay, Aaron's now mama bear. But on the other hand, it doesn't because mm-hmm. I think she always had those qualities in her. So yeah. I think it's more just distilling them down to her being like, now I'm going to protect this because of me, not necessarily mm-hmm. for other, not necessarily because, you know, I'm a mother. Yeah, I really like that uh, the way of thinking about it. The other part of what I like about Aaron here is the emphasis from the Scarens and everybody is who's the father and who's the father. And I'm just going to go ahead. We're going to jump around in this episode a little bit. Apologies in advance. But kind of one of the things she says at the end was like, you know, thinking about my child and what she would be doing and how she would take care of me when I was old. And it was very much about Aaron's relationship with the child. Mm -hmm. So for her, like she's really feeling that that bond already, even though it hasn't developed beyond like, I don't know, 16 cells at this point Mm -hmm. of being a mother to the child and that's where her core relationship with it is coming from whereas everyone else is worried about who's the father who's the father because scarens think they can get like wormhole information out of genetic material from john i don't even know what's going on with that we really kind of find out from aaron in this episode what this child means to her Mm -hmm. for the first time yeah i'll admit so i'm about six months pregnant right now and I found that that portion of the episode just so meaningful of of her kind of having this idea of what the child and her relationship would be. And moreover, that like for her, I, I think the father does matter in the sense that she loves John and she really hopes it's John's. But on the other hand, all these dreams she has with the child are dreams that don't involve anybody but her and the child. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. And so it really is for her, this baby is as much about her as it is about anything. Because early on, she says something along the lines of, you know, peacekeepers don't tend to get pregnant unless they're in a breeding program, unless they're signed up for a breeding program. And I never wanted to do that. I never wanted to have a baby that way. And so I think for her, this baby means something entirely different. It's she's already she's already rejected her peacekeeperness. You know, she's mm-hmm. already not a peacekeeper. But this is kind of that final step for her in in creating a family. You yeah. know, like when Bobby mentioned 
in, I think it was Constellation of Doubt, um, not the other Earth episode, where he mentioned, you know, do you miss having aunts and uncles and family? And she was like, well, I didn't even know what that was until now. But she did know what a mother was. Like she's yeah. always known what a mother was. And so I think that that's what she's reaching for is she wants to have a relationship with her with her child that she was denied with her own mother. Mm-hmm. And we even saw in some of the episodes with Zalak's son that I'm thinking of relativity right here where even though they had this like one brief moment when she was a child and even though Zalak's ends up trying to come and kill her, there's that moment with Aaron saying, like, you shaped me, you know, mm-hmm. even in absentia, I always had that memory to basically have a some sort of relationship with you and who I am is in part derived from you. And I think she really feels that keenly. And as you said, like, she's already rejected her peacekeeperness, And this is her really rejecting peacekeeper philosophy, mm-hmm. you know, because that's something that she's held on to a lot through the seasons is like, even though she was no longer a peacekeeper in the sense that she was no longer employed by them, she still kept a lot of the the things that she liked about them and, and a lot of the philosophy. And, but those have changed over time. And this is one more that she's shedding, like, yeah. for real. Oh, I really like that. You know, because as much as, as much as she says, okay, well, Talon was my father and that's why I named, you know, Ta- that's why she named Talon Talon at the same time. Like, I really think that her fundamental relationship has been with her mother. How we talked about how much we liked that way back when we were doing the Zalek soon stuff. So go back and listen to all of our Zalek soon episodes. If you're curious, our feelings on that. But I think that this is, you know, her chance to, to, to really shape somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the fact that she thinks that she's ready for that. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah. it's such a big step for her. Yeah. And as you said, the father is important. John is important because she does love him deeply. And it's because of the relationship, I think, and knowing that he will be her partner in this and that she's not going to be alone because that's also be this, been this great fear of Aaron's is that she'll be alone. She'll die alone. But she has John as a partner. And in this episode, she has this unwavering faith that he is going to come get her mm-hmm. and we'll get into it when we get into some of the details, but the knowledge that she has a partner with her, I think is part of what helps her be ready for this and want to embrace having a family. Yeah. And I think as much as she has faith that John is coming for her, I want to start on the opening clip from this episode because for me, that was just like, this whole clip is amazing. So I want to talk about it. There was one guard, I don't remember her face, she never told me her name. She told me a legend about how Sebastians once had a god called Tanker Brew. Six worlds break to her, they built her temples, conquered planets. And yet one day she still rode up and destroyed all six worlds. And when the last warrior was dying, he... He said, We gave you everything. Why did you destroy us? And she looked down upon him and she whispered, Because I can. So 
what actually happens after this quote is that then she says, I, I beg of you, show me a sign that he's coming, you know? And for me, that's really meaningful because she totally knows John is going to come for her. But she also has Sokozu's knowledge that like, she's going to a magic secret base that they have no idea where it is and that there's no guarantee that John will be able to find her in time. Right. And you can tell at the very beginning, she's already probably been through some torture. She's kind of at the end of her rope. You know, her her makeup is really showing a very wan face, you know, and she's she's really being pushed to her limit. And then it, it just totally 100% makes sense to me that if Aaron is going to pray to a god, she's going to pray to one that's completely vicious and <laughs> that will, like, destroy people for the fun of it. Because, like that capriciousness I think would speak to her on some level. Yeah. It also reminded me of the quote um, or the adage, uh, there's no atheists in foxholes Mm. and that she is in a really, really desperate situation here. She knows that she's going someplace where the crew won't know where she is, as you said. And, and how do you get out of that situation? And they've gotten out of some pretty dire situations, but this one is probably the worst that they've been in so far in terms of being separated with this kind of gap between them. And we had a whole episode, Constellation of Doubt, where John and the crew did not know where she was. So I think, I think that's also that kind of like, who do you talk to and who do you go to when you have absolutely nothing and you're, you're in the hands of your deepest, darkest enemy. And, you know, there is solace in trying to seek a higher power to find answers in. And yeah, the a God that's just like, because I can. I just think it's so interesting that that's the Sebation, or at least one of the early Sebation gods that that came about. And it's like that whole, you know, disaster strikes. And how do you explain a disaster striking? Well, it wasn't a punishment. It was just a God that just wanted to destroy you. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think there's a kind of nice lack of guilt in that. Mm-hmm. But... Well, and also kind of peacekeepers don't worship it, I think, as much as the Scarens. But there's something to be said for this idea of a peacekeeper god whose main thing is their strength. Mm-hmm. You know, like she yeah. has the strength to do this on her own just because she can, you know. Yeah. And then also, I think that I, I, I want to give props again to Farscape because she says there was a guard. I don't remember her name, which mm-hmm. yay for just inserting female <laughs> characters everywhere. Like that is how we pass the Bechdel test, <laughs> which this ap- episode actually does end up passing a lot in spades. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. So uh, let's take Aaron's plot line um, since we've already started with her. So she has this prayer and then in comes a Scaran captain and another Sebation woman who is working with the Scarens, and I can't remember her name, but we can call her the nurse, because that's her role. And so the Scaren does the the mind torture heat thing on Eren, and the nurse is monitoring her temperature as she does it, because they don't want to send her into the living death, but they want to make sure it's painful enough that she tells them what they want. And at this point, they just want to know where John is, because they know that they are uh, companions, and they want to know where John is so they can go steal the wormhole information and or know what Greza is up to. Mm-hmm. And Aaron faints pretty quickly, like sooner than she should under normal circumstances, especially since peacekeepers are apparently hardened and genetically altered a little bit to withstand scare and heat uh, torture more than normal sebations are. Mm-hmm. 
the next conversation I want to play is between her and the nurse, because the nurse comes back in trying to figure out why she's more resistant. Feeling better? Critical heat delirium. Mm, I almost couldn't get your temperature down in time. I thought peacekeepers were supposed to be battle-strengthened. Why did his heat probe almost kill you? I... I'm tired. Just go away. Wish I could. Listen, that Fennec will kill you unless you give him a reason not to. I've seen it happen. He'll be just another DIT. Died in transit. All right, don't listen. I'm just trying to save your life. Are you really sebation? Yes. Does it make it easier to make the others do your dirty work and you take the coward's choice? Listen, I've heard all that dread before. Usually from people like you, chained to a cell. Look at me, I'm not. You know why? Because I figured out a long time ago. Peacekeepers, Scarens, what difference does it matter who rules? It won't be me. All I'm going to do is survive. I suggest you should do the same. I'll tell Captain Jennick you're ready for another interrogation. And so what I wanted to talk about here is the fact that there's a Sebation collaborator mm-hmm. with the Scarens. And she's very upfront and open about it that, hey, this is survival. Like, everyone else who comes through here is dead. I'm not dead. I'm walking around. I got some responsibilities. I got some freedom. And I am surviving. And I just, I like that Farscape went here because, you know, collaborating with the enemy is, is always comes up in any kind of major conflict. And they are often, you know, the ones who, you know, they betrayed their own people. So they're, they're worse than scum. They're worse than the enemy even because they have betrayed their own people. And I don't know. I just find this character very, very interesting because she's like, you know, you got to tell me otherwise you're going to die. Like, I'm the one who can help you survive here. And once they find out that Aaron is pregnant and she's the one who interrupts the interrogation and says, hey, you got to stop or you're really going to kill her with the captain, Captain Jenick, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. And she tells Aaron when she wakes up again, like, I saved your life. And it just makes me wonder, like, I like this kind of complex character and how much of her... You know, she's obviously working for the Scarens, but how much of her role is that in this is her desire to save her prisoners' lives? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. I found the collaborator really interesting, too. But I also felt like she was maybe telling the truth that she doesn't necessarily care what happens to Aaron as much as if Aaron is killed and then it's found out that Aaron is pregnant with John's baby, Mm. that then she would get in trouble. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because Jenik, Captain Jenik, clearly is not the brightest bulb (laughs) on the Christmas tree. You know, he's he's very clearly hot-headed, not bright. And I think in a lot of ways, she's doing that thing where she kind of subtly tries to manipulate him into doing what she wants mm-hmm. back know? managing mm-hmm. yeah and then at the same time I found her interesting for another reason which is that John's last conversation 
in Constellation of Doubt was essentially, I don't care who wins, Scarens, Peacekeepers, I don't care. And that's exactly the same message that she is coming at. And so I think on some level that made me a little sympathetic to her because, hey, she clearly got captured by the Scarens. She literally doesn't care because either way, she, as she says, you know, I'm not going to be in charge, you mm-hmm. know? So who, do, why does it matter who wins since I'm going to be enslaved by both? Yeah. That's actually a really, really interesting point that I was thinking of too. And then I just thought of this other parallel when you brought up John, because John at the beginning of this episode, and we'll get to this more in depth when we get to his storyline, but he goes to Scorpius and says basically the same thing at the end of Constellation of Doubt. And now he is collaborating with the Scorpius, with the peacekeepers, to give them the wormhole technology because he doesn't care who wins. He just wants Aaron back. And so does that make John a collaborator with the peacekeepers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. And I think that, I think that again, it goes back to the fact that we like John. So obviously we don't see him. We're like, oh, well, he's clearly like going to do something and he's manipulating the situation. And I'm like, well, so is she, you know, and and her actions throughout this, her actions throughout this episode really do kind of beg some questions for me of not only how much is she actually helping Aaron? Cause it feels like she's helping Aaron a lot. Like we'll get mm-hmm. into it, but there are definite moments where I think that Aaron is survives because of her. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and at the same time, you know, she's, yeah, she's technically helping the Scarens, but like how much do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like how much is this one nurse on this one ship actually helping the Scarin cause. Right. I just find her a really fascinating character, and I think we do continue to see her as this plotline continues. So, Aaron is transported, now that they know she's pregnant, to another room on this freighter. So they're on a ship right now. They're in transit, when, and uh, they're, they're on a cargo vessel. And so she's transported to another room where there's other pregnant women in, and she wakes up. And when she wakes up, she's praying. And I think this is that spot where she's saying, I just need a sign that John is coming for me, even though she doesn't name him by name. And one of the other pregnant women says, I didn't think peacekeepers prayed. So one, that's an oddity that Aaron is, is going through with this experience. And then the other one, I thought this was interesting. The other woman in there says, a peacekeeper, can she save us? You know, mm-hmm. and again, getting back at that, the peacekeepers in this situation, the enemies of the Scarens, potentially are the rescuers. You know, they'd mm-hmm. be the ones coming in with commandos and saving these prisoners that have been there for cycles upon cycles. Yeah. And I, I do want to go back to this kind of point of the reason Aaron is praying at all is because she needs a sign. You know, mm-hmm. she does need, she knows John wants to come for her, but yeah. she needs she needs some signal that he actually is coming for her in order to survive this really terrible situation. Mm -hmm. Again, I I really like that this episode, essentially in the entire Scarin ship, we have, we meet like five or six characters, I think, or no, we meet, we meet Four. four or five characters. And the only, the only male character is Captain Jessic. Jenick. Jenick. Captain Jenick. And he, again, is not, the brightest, you know, <laughs> which is something that the nurse ends up telling Aaron later after she saves Aaron from another, like another torture session is she tells Aaron like, Hey, Captain Jenick is thinking that you're his next promotion because he mm-hmm. thinks that you're carrying John Crichton's child. Yeah. And so clearly this is not 
a guy that's already on his way up the ladder. Right. Right. I think she even phrases it as palaces and virgins, which I thought was an odd reference to the way the media usually characterizes terrorists from Muslim countries. But that aside, I just wanted to point that out. Just, I don't know why. Anyway. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, it is a little we, problematic. <laughs> it is a little problematic characterizing the, the scares with that kind of imagery. So the reason that he's so excited about John possibly being the father is he thinks that the DNA of the fetus, which is, as I said, about 16 cells at this point, conceived, well, most certainly with Tal and John back in season three, is going to have the the knowledge of the wormholes somehow transferred into it, which I don't think neurons work that way, right? No. <laughs> no. This is like, you know, it's the time I can hand wave a lot of Farscape science, but this one feels like the nurse is having the Scarin on and basically being like, yeah, let's save her life because I feel like saving her life. And this is why it made me think that the nurse is like, has something invested in Aaron, you know? Yeah. Because this is such a far-fetched reason to keep the child alive. <laughs> Okay, so I had a couple of thoughts on that because, yeah, we also, my husband and I also paused on that moment and we're like, what all now? But, I okay, so I have two thoughts. My okay. first is that I do think the nurse has something invested in Aaron because I think the nurse is smarter than Captain Jenick. Yes. And so I think that she realizes, hey, if John Crichton's pregnant lover dies in transit, not only will Captain Jenick be killed but I probably will be killed because mm -hmm. it's my job to keep prisoners alive. And so I think that that's why she's not only encouraging Aaron to say it's John Crichton's, even if it isn't. Yeah. And she's also creating all the evidence to point to it being John Crichton's child. And later on, we'll get into, into I think, what happened with the truth serum that she ends up giving Aaron. But mm -hmm. And then the second thing is that I think that maybe Scarens do pass on some knowledge through DNA or maybe there are species that do. Yeah. Because I'm like, because the fact that we have no evidence that sebaceans do or they would have mentioned it before now and clearly humans, no. The only <laughs> things that are passed on through our DNA are like really basic, basic instincts, like the instinct to, um, to like latch and to suck milk, you mm -hmm. know? And also that like, humans have like this really biological instinct to like love things that have really big eyes disproportionate to their face, which is why we think that like all baby animals are cute. <laughs> and you are lying. If you don't like kitten videos, you are lying to yourself. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And also I think the nurse could also be able to recognize that if they have John Crichton's child alive and Aaron alive, they have a whole lot more leverage against him than if they did if they were dead. So even if the child does not have the DNA, whatever, the fetal mm -hmm. DNA doesn't have the knowledge of the wormholes, they have leverage to get it out of John when he finds them yeah. or comes after them. Yeah, like I said, I think the, the nurse is playing the long game and Jenik <laughs> is playing the, I'm a grunt who somehow became captain. <laughs> right, right. Well, he is just kind of flying around in circles on this freighter most of the time. Yeah, so so let's get into that, that truth serum. You mentioned that. So they want to know what's going on with Aaron. And so let's play the first time that, that the nurse injects her with truth serum. This will just pry the truth out of her. No, don't use that. I won't lie to you. I'll just tell you what you want to know. You wouldn't lie to me. 
stupid bit. Aaron, whose child is inside you? Yours. Whose child? I don't know. Is it John Crichton's? Is it his? I don't know. No. There was another man. Another? Hmm. This Velarek, where is he now? He's, he's dead. How did he die? Charge! I command executed him for treason because I betrayed him. The man who conceived your child. I reported him. She's lying! The serum isn't working! Give her more! Mm, I'm not lying, I'm just not a very nice... This Valorek, is he the father of your child? Wake up! Wake up! And then after after he yells, you know, wake up, the nurse is like, well, she's not going to wake up until some of the truth serum wears off because the nurse now gave her two doses. So he walks over to one of the other women that has already told Aaron that she's carried six children for the, for the Scarens, and he destroys the fetus inside of her mm-hmm. with his heat, with his heat power. Yeah. And I think Aaron wakes up partway through that because she is awake for, for to witness that. And then he comes back and says, this is, you know, you know, this is the power that I have over these people. These women is the power to kill your child. And so mm-hmm. you better tell the truth or I'm going to kill your child. It was a very visceral viewing of it, I guess. And it was mm-hmm. just because they, they show it. And I was just, I don't know, maybe uncomfortable. But yeah. it's, it's supposed to make you uncomfortable. It's supposed to get at those primal fears of protecting your own children. And, the, you know, the fear of, you know, being bred. You know, that, that, mm-hmm. uh, the other woman, we find out later her name is Morak. And she says she's she's had six pregnancies. They're trying to breed uh, one of the traits that her species has has to uh, dissolve thin metal into something more substantial. And she's had three survive and get taken away, and three terminated. So you can just feel the callousness of this baby farm that's going on on the ship. And the you know we want to you know it is farming. It's it's breeding traits in and whatnot. No, yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense and it definitely is an uncomfortable, uncomfortable scene. It's, it's, it's supposed to make us uncomfortable and it's supposed to push those kind of fear buttons. And it's a scare tactic for Aaron as well. I mean, yeah, she does wake up about partway through that witnesses and it's, uh, and so it's supposed to, to scare her into, into talking. Mm -hmm. Getting back to the quote for a moment. I think one of the important things from that is that, is it Velarex is a real question that as viewers you've had to have because yeah. Aaron doesn't know because Velarex was in that seven year time window. And so the other thing I want to talk about though, is that I think that this time it is real truth serum. Mm-hmm. I think that what the woman gave her the first time was like a real truth serum because you can see it prying the truth out of her. Mm-hmm. that on some level when she's saying I don't know I don't know that actually is the truth yeah. she doesn't know yet 
whose baby it is. Because mm-hmm. I don't think when she was away doing her assassinations that one of her top priorities was like, I want to find out whose baby it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, though earlier, um, after she woke up when she was praying, she, you know, she's she's all bravado and saying, I slept with so many people. I've got dozens of embryos with me. I was a regular trout. And trying to throw them off of being like, it could be anybody's. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And here... I think what I like about the progression of, of Aaron's, Aaron's torture, the scenes with her air tor- torture when she's developing, you know, who is the father? We start with Velerick, who's, as you say, the audience has been asking about. And then the next one, I'm just going to jump ahead. She, she talks about somebody she was with while she was off being an assassin, Lechner. Mm-hmm. Because they figure out that the, the DNA is not fully sebation, so it has to be a non, non-sebation plus her sebation DNA for the child. And so she gives them this other person who is not sebation. And so during that interrogation, um, it's much more intense. And she has the truth serum injected into her again. And I want, let's just go ahead and play that one. We found record of Benro DNA. Your embryo is not the product of one of Benro's sons. Well, Lechner lied to me. There is no Lechner. There is Lechner. Leave her alone! Give her more! I've doubled the strength. No, please! Again! Stop it! She's telling the truth! Again! No, please don't do it! Kill the child! Is John Crichton the father of your child? I've already told you it's Lechner's, not Crichton's. How many times do I have to tell you? I knew Lechner before I went on to Moya. I was on Moya to watch Crichton, and as soon as I left, I went straight back to Lechner. I have never, ever loved John Crichton. I've never loved him. You lie. Tell the truth. Well, I... Yes. And then she goes into a series of flashbacks, which is why I didn't capture it, because it's it's mostly just flashback noises where you, you see her with, with another dude who's Lechner, you see these white shadows, and sometimes you see John's face, And she, but she's even saying, like, I forgot about John Crichton. I completely forgot about him when I went back to Lechner. So she's still resisting and still able to spin this tale of it being somewhere else. And I think this is the point you're getting at is... Mm-hmm. Is she really under the influence of truth serum at this point? Yeah. And so here's my here's my kind of conspiracy theory. I do <laughs> not I think the first time the nurse does give her truth serum because the nurse wants her to admit it's John's and kind of then then Jenik will have a reason to keep her safe for the rest of this journey. And then I think when she starts doing the whole Velerek thing, and then later she invents this Lechner, Lechna who I believe that he was real. I don't believe she was sleeping with him. And I do believe, I do believe her because as she's saying there, I never loved John. I never loved John. As she's saying that she's flashing back to the fact that she was always imagining herself kissing John. Yeah. You know? And so the fact that she continues to insist it's Lechna leads me to believe that the second time the nurse doesn't give her truth serum because the nurse thinks that she's smart enough to, even if it's not John's, pretend it's John's. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that the nurse is also the one that he keeps being like, find, you know, evidence of this other DNA so we can prove it's not him, blah, 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 right? Yeah. And so I have a feeling that the nurse is fabricating this because, again, I think the nurse is playing the long game. I think the nurse is smart enough to be like, even if it's not John Crichton's baby, maybe he thinks it is, Mm -hmm. you know, and either way, this is his lover. So he's going to come for her. And if yeah. we kill her in transit. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> so that's really my kind of conspiracy. Problem. Because yeah. she keeps being able to, her lies get more intense during the second round mm-hmm. of Truth Serum. And I'm like, the first time, she actually came pretty close to telling the truth. Yeah. And then the second time, it's like her lies get like disproportionately larger. So I'm kind of like... I think the nurse wasn't giving her real truth serum in <laughs> the second time. And actually the only way that they end up prying what he thinks, and this is again, why torture doesn't work. The only way that, that Jenik ends up prying what he wants to hear out of her is he ends up using his heat, um, his heat power on her abdomen, mm-hmm. which is how she saw the other woman lose her baby. Right. And so during that, she starts almost going into heat delirium and then she ends up admitting there it was only John. There was was only only ever John. John. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's not even under the truth serum that that happens, but it's under direct, direct torture. So, yeah. And it's, it's this really intense series of scenes because Aaron has basically got tears running down her eyes, like all the way through. And you can tell at the end that she, she really has broken, like, with the, the she's got foaming at the mouth happening she, her eyes are fluttering and you can tell that she is just exhausted and done and that's when she admits yeah it was john's all along it's only ever been john which is an interesting thing it is definitely what jenick wants to hear but aaron i think still does not 100 percent know right mm-hmm. because that has been this whole thread and this whole point of tension between John and Aaron i mean i know there's some fabrication to some of that cuz john like prolonged the the agony trying to protect her from scorpius but at the same time that was an actual issue that the two of them had about talking about it and then mm-hmm. her not knowing and john being worried about her not knowing and not being the father and all those sorts of things going on So I think the real truth serum, or even if the second round was a truth serum and she was able to resist, but the real truth is she still doesn't know. She wants it to be John's and she loves John and she wants to make the life with her and the child work with him. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a really good point. And I think that what really works for me about this whole kind of progression of lies and truth and lies and truth is, is that that's, that's the core of her truth. Mm-hmm. And also that's kind of the core of, I think what's John true for John at this point. Cause even if the baby comes out and maybe it was Velarex, yeah, you know, I think that John would still raise it as his own. Yeah. Because for sure. in, in twice shy, he says you and the baby. And at this point he doesn't know that it's his baby. Like, yeah, we have, it's, it's probably his baby. Cause you know, He's, yeah, it's there's a more than 50 percent chance that it's his baby just statistically. Right. You know, but at the same time, I think he's treating it like his own because yeah. everybody else will treat it like his own. And I think that for him emotionally, he has to. I don't know if that yeah. makes sense. No, it does. It makes absolute sense. It's like he has already accepted the baby, Aaron's baby into his family, whether or not it's genetically his. And I think that's absolutely true. Mm hmm. Yeah. So then. 
she wakes up after having been hopefully stabilized, but we, you know, we don't see that. And the other woman, the one who said she'd lost, or the one who said that she'd had six babies Mm -hmm. is there. And earlier in the episode, she'd said, Hey, I managed to squirrel away enough of the, enough of the drugs. Yeah. Enough of the sleeping drugs to kill myself. And Mm -hmm. now she says, Hey, I have enough for two. So she starts, she gives Aaron half and she takes half. And then she's like, Oh, thank you for doing this with me. Like, I wouldn't have had the courage to do it on my own. They start taking it. And as they're taking it, she starts um, she starts questioning, hey, is it this actual Crichton's? <laughs> this guy you love? And let's, uh, before we get too deep in, but let's go back and mention that Aaron, when they first met and the other woman was introducing herself and talking and asking questions, you know, she thought that she was a spy, like a mm-hmm. scare and plant. And... Then they had a much nicer conversation after the baby was killed. The other woman's Morox baby was killed. And she even offers to say, hey, when my people come for me, we'll take you away too. Right? Mm-hmm. So so they're, they've kind of gone through this, you know, I think you're a spy. Maybe you're not. And now we have this scene at the end. Mm-hmm. So they're taking the drugs and she's being questioned. And then Aaron has like probably the most boss scene of this entire episode, which is this is when she has that conversation that we already addressed where she talks about all of her wishes for the baby. And mm-hmm. again, it's like, I wish, you know, to see her grow. I hope she, you know, I wanted, I wanted her to take care of me, my old age. She wanted a companion. She wanted love. And then she ends up questioning Morak a little bit more and then she ends up grabbing her by the throat. And then she says, I know these pills aren't going to, I know these pills aren't going to kill me. And she's grabbing her by the throat and she says, did you have any babies? And mm-hmm. Morak admits that she had none. And so yeah. Aaron like literally has the most boss line of the entire episode. Cause she goes, good. Then I make no one an orphan when I kill you. And she snaps <laughs> her neck with one hand because Aaron is the most amazing character ever. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's the other suspicious thing about that scene at the end. She's like, because they got out of their restraints to take the pills. But yeah, so I was thinking about this because when I first watched this episode and even on the first time I rewatched it, I watched it twice before for recording. And I was like, how does she know? How does she figure it out? And I realized on the second watch, it's in that middle conversation after Morak has just lost her baby. And she says, this is the third one they've terminated. But she'd already said that she got her numbers mixed up because she already said in the very first conversation, I've had three terminated and three taken away. So this one that was just terminated in this episode should have been four. And so I think Aaron is picking up on that discrepancy. And Mm -hmm. then again, on the suspicious behavior of, oh, you're out of your restraints. Oh, you just happen to have all, you know, squirreled away all the medication (laughs) under the, the eye of the really clever nurse. And, oh, you keep asking me, is John really the father? So I think kind of all that adds up for Aaron in her head. Yes. That this is squirrely. Oh, I hadn't even noticed that, but that was good. Yeah, because in this one, she does, in this last conversation, she says, you've had six. You know, she clarifies that number really clearly. For me, it reminded me, I watched Babylon 5 a long time ago, so the details are all kind of fuzzy. There's There's a whole plot arc where Sheridan ends up getting captured in the middle of this war by... Um, by his enemy and the same thing kind of happens where there's a there's somebody else that he forms a connection with and it's actually the torture of that person that makes him break 
Mm-hmm. And so for me, I thought it was really interesting that Aaron was kind of clever enough that that was very visually hard for her to watch and she didn't yeah. like it. But at the same time, she's clever enough to see through the kind of the torture thing. And maybe that's also her experience because yeah. whereas Sheridan was like an earth captain who had to abide by earth rules, which means like no torturing and stuff like that. Aaron probably has seen torture before. Aaron's probably gone through torture before, you know, mm-hmm. and then probably sometime on the show, which I can't really remember off the top of my head, but you know, they've gone through a lot and she's been a soldier for a long time. And you know, that's been her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the last scene we get with Aaron is she's now taken out of the breeding room and thrown back into a cell. Now that the, the Scarin Captain Jenick has what he wants from her, which is the admission that John is the baby daddy. This is Aaron's last prayer that she has. We've set a course for Katrazi. They've been informed of your condition and there is a surgeon on hand. Now, Jankapra, you haven't listened and you haven't helped. And I'm running out of time. So I'm going to forget about you. I am now willing to make a deal with anyone. With anything. Save my child. Not because I can. But because I have to. That one just gives me chills. Like, every time. And I think part of it is, like, here is Aaron upbraiding her god (laughs) like Mm -hmm. yeah it's not like her long-term god but she's like chastising her god for not listening to her and answering her prayer and Mm -hmm. she says okay enough of you i gotta do this on my own and i will do this on my own because that is what i'm going to do to save my child and it's just like talk about boss (laughs) you know yeah i think that this moment is like really good I like it because there's something desperate about it. And I don't think mm-hmm. we've seen ever seen Aaron this desperate before. I yeah. think that when Scorpius had John, I think that she was like a little bit, she was close to this, you know, kind of in the liars, guns and money. Mm-hmm. But there it was like this kind of cold calculated, what am I going to do to get John back? Yeah. And she had a crew behind her and she had a crew behind her. You know, she was free. And here there's something kind of like about her helplessness You know, it actually reminded me a lot of Twice Shy here because you remember Twice Shy where she's like, don't be useless, don't be useless. And Mm -hmm. I think right now she feels kind of useless. Yeah. Well, she's she's trapped. It actually reminded me a lot. And as a mirror, I think of John at the end of The Hidden Memory Mm. in season one when he is, you know, just been in the Aurora chair. He's been mind raped. He's on the floor of his cell. He has Stark with him, which is more than Aaron has here. But he is just so helpless and he's crying and he's just total shock and shut down. And he's waiting on rescue from Aaron in that episode and she comes for him. And then she is waiting on rescue for John from John in this episode. He hasn't come for her yet. Mm-hmm. And we'll spend the last, I don't know how long we'll have to get through John's storyline, but this kind of this mirror of she's the one desperate and trapped with no way out. And he's the one who has to come rescue her this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So actually, speaking of John, 
Let's uh, let's quickly go through his plot because his plot <laughs> is kind of straightforward. It has some emotional beats that are interesting. So as we saw in the last episode, Constellation of Doubt, John goes to Scorpius and he says, hey, I want to make a deal. And now we find out what that deal is. John wants to go to back to the Bizarro Moya, the one where everybody was kind of mixed up in a blender, because he wants to talk to the Stark there and find out where the Katrazzi in their universe is because he thinks it'll probably be in the same place here mm-hmm. so john and scorpius get in the module wait mm-hmm. can we can we talk real quick about scorpio being a weirdo yes <laughs> oh my gosh let's talk about that <laughs> so before scorpius agrees to help john he wants to do he he cuts john's thumb and then sucks it into his mouth all sexy and everything and it's really creepy so creepy and, and then he cuts his own thumb and offers it to john and john is like wow, you really are Nosferatu. And, and he insists that John, you know, have a taste of his blood because it's a scarab blood ritual. And John's like, don't you hate scarabs? And, and Scorpius is like, well, not right now because I want you to do this blood ritual to, to, <laughs> to like show how serious you are about giving me the wormholes in exchange for help with Aaron. <laughs> I'm just like, Scorpius, how much creepier can you get? Oh, so it's creepy. great. <laughs> But I really love those little notes about Scorpius's character because, you know, it really touches on that, that he is more than just a peacekeeper, right? He's got this mixed heritage. He's got these, you know, completely mixed feelings about himself because of it. He's got this hatred of his Scarin half, and yet he wants to do this Scarin thing to, you know, to to seal this deal. So I don't know. It's just, it just makes me think Scorpius is nice and complicated as he usually is. Okay. So I, again, do not remember the rest of the season at all. And I was talking to, I was talking to my husband last night and I was like, I remember like chunks of peacekeeper wars, but like, I do not remember like most of the rest of the series, but I have to point out that there was something so suspicious about this ritual where I was like, is he giving John like little, is it like, is he giving John another mind clone? Like, what is he doing with this? Because it just seemed so weird. And he was so insistent about it. Honestly, I think it was a power play. I think it was like, because John needs his help and is desperate for his help, he is going to make John beg for it and do weird, crazy, scaring rituals <laughs> just to show it. And so then Scorpius can make John uncomfortable and really know that, he is the one who is setting the terms of this deal. Oh, I right? really like that, actually. Because because he's not going to help unless he does it. And this is, I think it's just a power move on Scorpius's part. Yeah. Oh, I really like that because it plays into, like, Scorpius' whole, like, dominant, submissive thing. Yeah. And also it's, like, at the same time, it, again, I, I do want to point out the last time John offered Scorpius wormhole knowledge, he destroyed his command carrier <laughs> and his career. So, like, Scorpius has pretty good reason to be suspicious. He does. He does. I mean, I still, at this point, I think I have a better handle on it now, but, like, why is John asking for Scorpius's help? Um, and when we get kind of further down this plot line, I think that answer resolves itself. But that was something I was still thinking about. It's like, why are you dealing with this guy? Chiana and Dargo are really not cool with uh, the whole plan to <laughs> take Scorpius on a road trip through a wormhole to go to this other boya to find a s- different Stark to find out where Katrazzi is. But John admits it's stupid and goes and does it anyway because mm-hmm. he knows himself well enough that he is just going to do it 
even though it's really not a great plan. And they go down the wormhole. And he mentions that the he can find the place. Like, he's not worried about doing another Kansas, right? Because he's been there before, and he's got this hum in his head that'll guide him to the exact place. And so he's going to do that. And you actually have this really great scene through the wormhole where he's like, right, left, right, left. And they're spinning around and stuff. And there's even a, a pit stop when they accidentally go out because the module, a line in the module freezes up. So they get kicked out early and then they're just rotating in space because they don't have stabilization. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The, the cinematics of that was just, I found really compelling. He and Scorpius have this little heart to heart about what would Scorpius have done with the wormhole knowledge. Mm-hmm. And Scorpius is like, gone to earth and destroyed it. Of course. And he's joking. It's just like, <laughs> Another one of those little moments of Scorpius being being a dick to John just because. <laughs> yeah, I think we're definitely this whole season we've seen a more, I don't want to say softer side, because I think with Sokozu, I think the correct answer is kinkier side. But like, <laughs> we've definitely seen like a different side of Scorpius this season. Yeah. So they end up getting to Bizarro Moya. And to answer your question, I think that this is actually why John brought Scorpius, even if mm-hmm. he didn't 100% realize it. I think it was like twofold. I think he brought Scorpius because he doesn't care if Scorpius lives or dies. And he knows that the the wormhole is deteriorating, number one. Mm-hmm. And number two, they might be here forever, you know? Right. So he doesn't necessarily care that Scorpius is going to be trapped with him forever here. Uh, whereas I think he would care if it was like Dargo or Chiana or something like that. Yeah. But then also Scorpius's first act is they, they kind of kidnap the Stark of this universe and then they're like, hey, so where? what's this information? And Stark's like, I can't know it without helping somebody cross over. And so Scorpius is like, okay, I'll be right back. And they're like, where are you going? And John is like, has this like, where are you going? Look, and I'm like, dude, John, where do you think he's going? And so <laughs> he goes and he gets the Rigel Neronti mix and then brings it back and then shoots it. Her, him. I'm yeah. a... I'm going to go with Scorpius on this and kind of just okay. be like, bring them back. How about, let's bring do them that. Back. Let's, do, let's do that. Yeah. Though I will say this for the pronouns, just as a quick aside, that John does try to correct when he's not sure because yeah. some of the male, female. Anyway. And so then they're like, Skark, cross them over. And Stark's like, I can't because I don't love them. And so this Stark has different rules than the Stark in our universe. And Unless he or she, them, unless they love the person that they're crossing over, they actually cannot cross them over. So it's not even a matter of will or won't, which is one of the things that that John asks. And in this case, the person that that Stark loves is Chiana, who is played by Claudia Black in this bizarre universe as an Aaron mashup. And so that, of course, is in like, oh, crap. Now they have to go get the Aaron Chiana. And mm-hmm. one of the things also about this, this uh, Bizarro Moya, is that in like an Arn, Graze is going to come and destroy them all like she did in Unrealized Reality. And so that's mm-hmm. one reason that Scorpius is like, I got to come in here and we don't have time to negotiate. We're just going to shoot people. And mm-hmm. John is kind of upset about that. He's like, what are you doing? You can't just go around shooting people. Mm-hmm. And that's when Scorpius, this is a little bit later, Scorpius says, like, this is why you brought me along, right? And I think this is what you were getting at. You have no resolution to follow this through. Mm-hmm. And I do. And I think, I like that idea that even if John didn't, thinks he has the resolution to see this through and, and get what they need to find out where Katrazzi is, 
he kind of subconsciously knew that Scorpius would definitely get the job done, motivated mm-hmm. by wanting wormhole knowledge. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think we see that in this last quote that I want to play, which is where they know that Stark cares about the Arantiana. And they know this from the unrealized reality when that's the actual character who was killed when mm-hmm. um, Stark did the crossover. So Scorpius and John go and get her. And yeah, let's play what happens when John has to shoot her. You will be. I'll do it. Hey, quite untie me. You know, I know I always tie up people I like. If you kill her, I won't help you. I won't cross her over. Yes, you will. What is he talking about? What is he talking about? Look, I know this doesn't make any sense, but you're going to die in half an hour, and there's nothing I can do to stop that. What? What do you mean? I'm not going to die. Yes, you are. Listen, Crichton, you're in some kind of trouble. Who is this Vec? Is he making you do this? If you untie me, I can help you. I always do. I can just... scene you just see john seeing aaron mm-hmm. and i think claudia black does an incredible job here playing chiana mm-hmm. it's just she's just so great at it and it's just but even through all that you have this this tension of like john faced with shooting again because he didn't bring home the beacon to the woman he loves more than anything in the universe but he has to, or she has to die in order for them to find out where the real one is, or at least the mm-hmm. one from their universe is. And it's just, it's a really, really powerful moment too. Just mm-hmm. him confronting that again, deliberately, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's something about this. I think it's it in Connie Willis's books. Um, one of the, in her time travel books, one of the interesting things that they, they talk about is that you can take things from the past that were going to be destroyed. Like if you have proof that this ship full of artifacts sinks and was never heard from again, then you can go and you can take all those artifacts into the future and mm-hmm. with no consequences. And I think that's a little bit what's going on here is that John knows that all of these people are going to die in about half an hour at this point. So as viewers and for John, there's kind of no consequences to his actions, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, there's emotional consequences. Yeah. And I think that that's what's going on here is that emotionally, even though he knows like, Hey, it's probably better that they die sooner rather than 
dying at the hands of the peacekeepers, there's still kind of that like weird, gross, emotional thing going on for him of having to kill Chiana Aaron. Right. And Aaron, who's the woman he loves, and Chiana, who is incredibly close to him and his little sister, essentially. Yeah. You know, both of those are hard things. Yeah. And then Scorpius is able to just be there as his backup mm-hmm. to say, okay, I'll do it, and does it right then and there before John can even blink, essentially. And uh, the consequence of that is the the Stark who has at one point channeled the Scarin, which is how she knows about Kachatsi, and she can only access those memories when crossing someone over, um, is able to do that. And when she says Kachatsi during the crossover, John says, that's it. And then she talks a little bit more about it, and we find out that it is a seat of Scarin power. It's a small, fortified, dangerous location, and it's disguised as a moon around a planet. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think, the other reason that John has asked for Scorpius's help is like Scorpius says, oh, Trulask. Trulask is the, the planet. Um, he knows where that is. And so it is Scorpius's knowledge of the Scaran Empire because he knows, you know, he's a high-level peacekeeper. He knows the intelligence. He knows he was in the Scaran Empire when he was young. That is his other value to helping find Aaron is being able to interpret the information that they get from Stark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of where the episode ends. Is it ends with Aaron praying desperately. It ends with John and Scorpius coming back through the wormhole just in time to be picked up by a docking web as Moya starbursts away. I thought it was interesting that this whole, like they have this whole other plot line where Sokozu is actually the one that keeps saying, we need to leave. We need Mm -hmm. to leave. And she's willing to abandon John and Scorpius to their fate. To get away from Greza, who's coming on the command carrier. Yeah, to get away from Greza. And so, I don't know, I thought that was interesting. She and she and Rigel are the ones who want to get away. So, I guess that's something to think about next time. But they stay to the last minute, it's down to the wire. They use the sensor distorter to, to try and disguise themselves as long as possible. And yeah, so that's the episode. I don't really have strong thoughts about Sokozu at this point. Yeah, um, I, I, I just wanted to point out it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, what would you give this episode? I love this episode. I would give it a four, four and a half. Yeah. I think the Aaron stuff is so strong. And even the John and Scorpius stuff, I know we didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about it, but even watching the two of them and their relationship and their antagonism, and yet they are still, you know, Scorpius is backing John's play and everything. It's, I don't know, it's just a really good episode. Yeah. I would give this one, I think, a five for me mm-hmm. because I think that both plot lines are really well paced. Yeah. They're incredible. The scenes all have value. Do you know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. not any wasted space in this. Like even the moments where Aaron is being quiet and thinking, you can see what's going on in it. And um, I don't want to be like, I'm a fan of torture episodes. <laughs> but I think that like this sort of episode where like a main character is being tortured, it gives you a really good insight into who they are as a character, which mm-hmm. is I think what happened when we saw John in the Aurora chair and in, in hidden memory, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Four and a half, five. I could go that high. Yeah. It's just a really good episode. Wardrobe watch. Aaron is in this kind of yellow jumpsuity thing as a prisoner. Mm-hmm. Um, does Dargo's, has Dargo's costume changed? It seemed redder than usual. And uh, I don't know. It's Maybe like the same just... style, but it might have just been camera or something. Or something. Anyway, I just that jumped out at me for some reason. Uh, everyone else is pretty much as they usually are. 
what yeah what's next week so next week we have we're so screwed part one fetal attraction how's that for terrible puns uh yeah <laughs> i don't know i like that pun that's not that funny <laughs> <laughs> So we are Farscape Friday podcast at Dreamwith Tumblr and at gmail.com. And we are Farscape Friday on Twitter. Go ahead and hit us up. Let us know what you thought about this episode. Let us you know if you thought we rated it too highly. <laughs> or too low. Or too low. Yeah. Should we have given yeah. this one a six out of five? Anyway. All right. Have a good week, everybody. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.